Please turn in your scriptures to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We will be reading from verse 23 through the end of the chapter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 23. As you are able, please rise for the reading of God's word. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Thus far, God's word, you may be seated. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God of peace, who ever strengthens your people, enable us to love and encourage one another by means of your promises give, give, given through your word, that we might glorify you and love you and love one another as brothers and sisters in your holy kingdom for the glory of your marvelous grace, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Years ago, my grandmother would fly from Holland uh, fly in from Holland into uh, into Ontario. I remember that we would go when when we were younger. It was always exciting. We got to go to to the airport. We got to see these large planes come come you know flying out of the sky and landing on the runway. And I remember saying to mom and dad, "Is that is that Oma's plane? Is is is, is she coming?" And then we would go down inside. Uh, we were in the parking structure. We'd go down inside and we'd find the gate and we'd stand at the exit of the customs and, and wait in anticipation for, uh, for my grandmother to come through those doors. We'd, we'd want to be the first to see her. Oh, there she is. We can see her. And then she would come out. And I remember as she came out there, we would go running up to her and we would, we would grab her and, and she would do the the usual European thing. She would grab us and she would kiss us in both cheeks. She would show us the affection that she had for us. Those were, those were good memories. I know that my grandmother loved us. Even though we didn't see her all that often, there was an affection expressed in her response to our excited anticipation as as young children at her arrival. It can be a thrill, can't it, uh, to be reunited with loved ones whom we haven't seen for a long time. I know some of us uh, will be experiencing that, uh, having our loved ones gone for a while. Uh, often in the military, those, uh, those who, are, who are deployed are gone for long periods of time. And yet when they come back, uh, we run up to them and we embrace them because we love them and we long to see them. But perhaps we don't all have that experience. 
but, per, but you can imagine, I'm sure, what it ought to be like. In our passage today, Paul expresses such a joy and such a longing for, the fellow, for fellow believers whom he loves in the Lord. He expresses his desires to see them, even as he expresses his concern for their spiritual welfare one last time as he concludes this letter. Paul has written this letter to the church at Thessalonica, an important city uh, located on the trade routes between Rome and Asia Minor. Uh, He has written to a body of believers who with whom he had only been able to spend a limited amount of time sharing the gospel, declaring Christ as Lord and and as Savior. And as we worked our way through the first part of Thessalonians, there is always in the back of Paul's mind this question, was it long enough? Do they continue to embrace Christ as Lord and as Savior, are they, are they loving the gospel even as it has been presented to them? And this question ate away at Paul until Timothy returned from visiting them and encouraged Paul and said that they continue to embrace the gospel. And you see a change in the mood of this letter as he is just filled with joy at the report of their faithfulness and their love for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul addresses a a number of issues, uh, one of the issues uh, being that of the return of Christ. When Christ returns, who is going to be there to greet them, to, to greet him? And will they, those who have gone before, will they miss out on this glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ? And Paul reminds them, no. In fact, they will come with Christ, even as Christ comes to meet the believers who yet remain, that together we may may glory in the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul, as he closes out this chapter, he has a number of instructions for the church, knowing that they they loved Christ, they embraced the gospel, Yet there were things that they needed to be reminded of in order that they would live as faithful Christians in this world. And so Paul, in, in this chapter, reminds them to, uh, to respect those who are over them, uh, to warn those who are unruly, uh, to make sure that we do not render evil for evil, that we pursue what is good, that we pray always, that we rejoice always, uh, and that we give thanks in everything, for this is the will of our God. And then Paul reminds the church that none of this, none of these instructions that he has given to them, they are able to do in their own power. For he reminds them that it is the God of peace himself who sanctifies them. And he prays that, that, that the God of peace himself would sanctify them completely. Their whole spirit, soul, and body would be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you are reminded that the Christian life is not something that you do in the sense that you are able to do it on your own. 
but you do it by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you and through you. And this is what Paul wanted the church to recognize and to remember and to understand that God is the one who called them to faith. God is the one who enables the believer to live the Christian life and that God is the one who will accomplish all that he has promised. He will do, as Paul says, what he has said he will do. Last time we looked at this, you were reminded that God himself strengthens his people through Christ in order that they might live holy lives. And by God's grace, I want to show you today that believers love and support each other in their growth in the Christian life. Believers love and support each other in their growth in the Christian life. You will see the Christian's brotherly prayers, the Christian's brotherly welcome, the Christian's brotherly encouragement, and Christ's gracious presence. Brotherly prayers, brotherly welcome, brotherly encouragement, and Christ's gracious presence. First of all, Christian's brotherly prayers. Believers desire the prayers of others. That's what Paul is saying in verse 25 when he says, brethren, pray for us. Notice once again that familial nature of the church, that we are in this together as a family, as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is writing to the church, and notice he addresses them in one sense as an equal. He says, brothers. You know, he doesn't say fathers. He doesn't say children. He says brothers. You know, if you have a number of children, you have brothers, you may have brothers, and you may have sisters. Uh, Can your brother tell you what to do? Does your brother have the same authority as that of your father or of your mother? And the answer to that question would be no. And Paul says to the church, brothers, we are in this together. He says, pray for us. Pray. What is prayer? Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things that are agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with thankful with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. See, Paul wants his brothers, those who stand before Christ in the exact same way that Paul himself does, to come before the Lord God on his behalf and bring before God, Almighty God, the needs that Paul may have. Now, notice he doesn't give very specific prayer requests. There are other places in the scripture where Paul says pray and pray specifically that the gospel would go forth. Here, Paul simply says, pray for us. And notice that this is a fitting conclusion uh, to the opening of this particular letter. As Paul writes to the church in chapter one, verse two, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you all in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work and faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and our Father. 
knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Paul opens this letter by telling the Thessalonians that he's praying for them. And he's very specific in his prayers for them, that they might continue in faith, they might continue in love, they might continue in patience of hope, focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. And now Paul, as he concludes his letter, he says, I'm praying for you, pray for us, pray for me, pray for our work, pray that the gospel would go forward, that it would go to the ends of the world. I just read in in Acts uh, this morning that Paul on the road to Damascus, uh, when, when Christ appeared to him, the light shone around him, he fell down and he heard the words, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? And he gets up and he can't see and he has to be led. And then God goes to Annas and he says, Annas, Paul, he is on the straight called, street called Straight and he is praying. Go to him for I must. And, and Annas was like, no, I, he persecuted the church. Why? That's, this, that's just a dangerous thing to do. God says, go to him for I must show him uh, how he must suffer for me for the sake of the gospel. And then you can read in, in Paul's letters as, as, he, as he recounts all of the, the trials and the difficulties that he faces, shipwrecks and beatings and stonings and being cast into prison and all of these things. And yet God mightily used Paul in the establishment of the church. And what was the secret? What was the key? The key is prayer. For in prayer, we acknowledge God's sovereignty in our lives. And in prayer, we acknowledge our dependence upon God. And Paul says, pray for us, for himself, for Timothy, for Silas, for the church. You see, we are not islands unto ourselves, brothers and sisters. Paul is expressing a need that he has, a great need that he has. This is the mighty Paul, the one who spoke uh, before kings, the one who was to go before Caesar. Uh, This is that mighty Paul who wrote so many letters of which we have record of in the scriptures. He says, pray for us. He says, I need the prayers of God's people. And brothers and sisters, we need the prayers of one another. Our needs and need to be brought before God for his glory and for our good. Paul could not have done all that he did without the prayers of the church, without the prayers of the Thessalonians and the Philippians and the Galatians and the Ephesians and, you know, all of those churches. He could not have done it if he himself had not been praying, if he had not brought his needs before the Lord and and in dependence upon God for to answer his prayer. Brothers and sisters, we must pray for each other. We need the prayers of one another. For you see, prayers unite us before God's throne of grace. We come before the living and the true God, the, the, the one who hears and answers our prayer. He, he is not a God of stone, of wood, that has an eyes but can't see and ears but can't hear and a mouth but can't speak. He, this is the living and true God who has 
come to us in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Prayer unites us as a body of believers together. But prayer also is our acknowledgement of our mutual dependence upon God for all things. We come to, we, we pray to the same God. We ask God for the same things that we might know him, that we might know Christ, that we might love him. Yeah, we, we pray for our needs as well, for, our, for, uh, for healing from sickness, for those who are, are fighting cancer, for those who mourn the loss of loved ones. We, we pray that we might be faithful witnesses, but all of this is dependent upon God's blessing. And our prayers for one another encourage us because together we can look to God for answers to our prayers. You know, far too often when we pray, we forget to look for the answers to prayer. We pray, you know, for individuals. And then when God answers that prayer, do we say thank you to him? Sadly, I think all of us are, are guilty of, of not acknowledging God's answers to our prayers. But prayer encourages us to continue to look to God for those answers to our prayers. Prayer strengthens us to live the Christian life in holiness before God. Prayer gives you and me what we need to live our holy lives. What is your first prayer in the morning? Is it, you know, Lord, can I get out of bed and can I do so without pain? Or is it something like, Lord, may you be glorified in, in my life and everything that I do and, and everything that I say today? You see, prayer strengthens us to live for the glory of, of God. Prayer strengthens us to live the Christian life, reminding us that we cannot do this on our own. And prayer is an expression of our union with Christ, that we are united as a body of believers in Christ. Brothers and sisters, pray for your leaders. Pray for your elders. Pray for your deacons. If we had deacons, pray for your deacons. Pray that the Lord would provide deacons. Pray for your pastor. We are dependent upon your prayers. Your prayers encourage us. We grow weary in the work that we do. The work is not always easy. There are always questions that need to be asked. We need your prayers. Pray for us, even as Paul asked the church to pray for him. We need wisdom and grace to do the sometimes difficult work that is set before us. I can't tell you how many times I have been encouraged when you have said to me, we're praying for you. For your prayers remind us that together we serve Christ. Together we serve God. That to, we are in this together as a body of believers. Your prayers remind us that we serve the living and the true God. But your prayers also remind one another that our dependence is upon God alone. We are to pray for each other. We need the prayers of one another. Brothers and sisters, it, it saddens me to say this, but I need to say this. No believer is above or beyond the need for prayer. 
Now, I know that there are times and there are, are things that, that are occurring in our lives that we don't want to share with everyone else. But there are times when there is a great need in our lives. And the only thing that will encourage you and strengthen you is to, to bring it before the Lord in prayer and to ask others to do so. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've, I've witnessed this where people are suffering through something and they don't ask for prayer. And then when we find out, all of a sudden, you know, we're the bad guys because we should have left it alone. You know, when we come to you and we ask, well, how are you doing? Can we pray for you in, in your medical condition or whatever it is? And then, well, I think you get the point. Brothers and sisters, no one is beyond the need for prayer. It is essential for your spiritual growth and spiritual life and the spiritual life of the church. Do you pray for one another? Do you pray for your pastor, for your elders? If we do not pray, we will not grow. If we do not bring our needs before the Lord, he will not answer our prayers. Not that God needs us to ask him for these things, yet he is pleased to use prayer. He has commanded us to pray to him. Brothers and sisters, are we a praying church? Yes, we have prayer meeting, and it's wonderful that we gather together every Wednesday to pray. And I would encourage you, if you, if you are not regularly attending that, to, to participate in that. Uh, because that is the, the lifeblood of the church, to bring our needs before the Lord. But if we don't pray, if we're not praying for one another, then either we will not grow as a church, we certainly will not grow in spirit, into spiritual maturity as a body of believers. You see, we need the prayers and encouragements of one another as believers support and love each other in their growth in the Christian life. Notice that Paul also uh, extends a brotherly welcome. Verse 26, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Brethren, welcome each other warmly with godly affection. You know, we must have a godly affection for one another. Sometimes it seems or it appears that church is just a place that we go to and that the people of the church, well, that's, they're those people and I don't hang out with them or I don't, and I, I don't deal with them directly or, or indirectly or I hold them at a, at a distance but Paul says to the church, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. To, to greet is to engage in a hospitable recognition of one another. It's to welcome each other, to pass along salutations. And notice that Paul says, greet all the brethren. Everyone who is part of this church at Thessalonica, I want you to greet them. Brothers and sisters, let us look for those with whom we do not regularly talk 
and let us greet them. Let us talk to them. Let us get to know them and to encourage them so that you can pray for them. I'm so thankful that when we do have visitors that come among us, that, that there are a number of us that will go and will greet them and, and make them feel welcome. Let's, let's do that one with another as well. But Paul says, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Now this shocks us and you may be sitting on the edge of your seats and saying, well, what is it that Paul is wanting us to do? Are we to kiss each other when we see each other? I believe that what Paul is, is saying here is exactly what I've said, that we are to greet one another warmly with a godly affection. In Europe, I can't tell you how strange it was, but when, you, when, when I would go visit family in Europe and I'd see my aunt or my uncle, uh, didn't matter, they'd come up to me and they, they'd give me a kiss on both cheeks. And from our own culture, that just seems to be so odd. But they are expressing a, a warm welcome and affection for us. They are greeting us. And I believe that's what Paul is doing as he closes out this letter. He's, he's saying, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. When we, a kiss is an, a, a sign of close affection. And it's most often associated with a family relationship, right? Well, what has Paul said throughout this letter? Brethren, brothers, we are a family of believers. Let us show this affection, this warm brotherly affection to one another. And remember, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians whom he had to leave after three weeks of ministry to whom he could not return to hug, to, to greet warmly. And so this is his way of saying to the church, I want each and every one of you to know that I love you as a brother in the Lord Jesus Christ. I love you as family. And that's what he is saying. That is what he is getting at as he gives this instruction to the church at Thessalonica. You know, exercising this kind of godly love and affection has become exceedingly difficult, hasn't it? particularly in the last, what is it, six, seven, eight, are we on nine months now? Social distancing, mask wearing, all necessary precautions. But what has been the side effect of it? It has made it difficult for the church to show godly affection and warmly welcome others, hasn't it? We have people coming into the church and visiting and you want to shake their hand and say, so good to meet you. And, uh, and you can't. You know, I don't have a solution to that other than to pray that the Lord would soon end what we're dealing with and that we could once again embrace one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. But distrust has also grown exponentially in our society, hasn't it? You have a little sniffle and somebody thinks, well, what are you doing out in, in public? Pray that all this fear and mistrust will be put behind us. You see, the church is the affectionate body of Christ, united by faith in Christ. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, and if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. 
you know, even given these restrictions that we have, we are still a body of Christ. We can still rejoice with one another. We can still weep with one another. We can still suffer with one another. We can still comfort one another, even with our presence. You see, the ultimate hope of the believer is to be in the presence of God himself, to, to see our Savior who gave himself for our sins and to worship him. For you see, even if we have to endure social distancing and all of that here in this life, there's going to be a day when none of this is, is going to matter anymore. There is going to be a day uh, when we will be together as believers, as brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of Almighty God himself. No more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness, none of this. It will be all gone away. And yet this greet all the brethren with a holy kiss is but a picture of what awaits us as the family of God. You see, Christians have a godly and holy affection for one another, even as we love and support each other in our growth in the Christian life. Notice the godly, uh, the brotherly encouragement that is given. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. Paul reminds the church, he instructs the church to read God's word. Well, to read this letter, which has become God's word. Now, when I say that, it, it seems kind of odd. You see, when we talk about God's word, God has moved men by the power of his spirit, as Peter tells us, who wrote the scriptures. God inspired the scriptures. God inspired these words of Paul. What I, I, what I was struck with as I went through this passage, as I, as I come to the end of 1 Thessalonians, what I was struck with is that Paul doesn't talk about his Aunt Bertha or his Uncle Bob, or, or anything like that. He is totally and completely focused on the spiritual growth and the spiritual life of the church, the church at Thessalonica. But not just the church at Thessalonica, the church at Westminster in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. He is concerned about your spiritual growth and your spiritual nourishment and how do you grow? You grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ through the word of God. And notice what he says in verse 27, I charge you. This is the only occurrence of this word in, in the Bible. It has the idea to give a command to someone under oath. It's as if, it's as if they have taken an oath and Paul's put them under that oath. You must do this. You see, Reading of the scripture is not an option. To read all of the scripture is not an option. To read your favorite portion of the scriptures only is not an option. You are to read the word of God. And that's what Paul is writing to us here, that this epistle be read. You know, there are people that's, that you ask them, have you read the Bible? Well, you know, I read, you know, this book or I read that book. Well, have you read the whole Bible? Well, no, I don't think that's necessary. Someone 
has shared a story where he would ask um, some pastors um, if they had read the whole Bible. And the, 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 sadly, the answer from some of these pastors is no. And there's no need for me to read the Bible. There's no need for me to read the scriptures. If you're going to grow in grace, if you're going to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're going to grow in your faith, you've got to know the word. It's as simple as that. But not only do you read the word, you have to meditate on the word. You have to study the word of God. You have to apply the word of God to your lives. And as the word of God is read and and proclaimed, as we gather together around the word of God on the Lord's day, you, you cannot be standing there or sitting there and saying, well, that's for somebody else. They need to hear it. No, you need to hear it. You need to apply this word to your own heart and your own life even as I need to apply to my own heart and my own life. And when I look at the word of God and I recognize how far I fail. Brothers and sisters, this word is for your instruction. This word is for your spiritual good. This word, God's word, is for your spiritual growth and grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you might be more like Jesus in everything that you do and in everything that you say. It's easy for us to sit here and say, oh yeah, I read the scriptures. But how often aren't we distracted in our devotion time? We're reading and a thought comes to us and before we know it, we're thinking about what we have to do uh, later on today. Or we're thinking about what somebody did to us and how we're going to get back at them or how we're going to respond to them in whatever way. You see, God's word is to be read and to be known by all men. I charge you by the Lord by the Lord. This is a direct command of the Lord to read this letter. Uh, you know, and this then goes to all of the scriptures, all of the letters. Remember what Peter writes about Paul. Uh, Peter writes, to, uh, writes about Paul in the letters that Paul has written in Second uh, Peter chapter 3, and he says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him, by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction." as they do the rest of the scriptures. Peter placed Paul's letters to the churches on the same level as the rest of the scriptures, as the, as the Old Testament, uh, which was the scriptures which they had at that time. Paul says, this letter is to be read by all the holy brethren. Every believer must be in the Word of God. And notice that the Word of God is meant for all people, not just an elite few. This was the beauty and the strength of the Reformation. For the Reformation was a return to the Word of God, to the people of God, because the Word of God was for the people of God. And that's why it's important that we have translations of the Bibles in, in different languages so that each one can hear the word in their own language. You see, believers love and support each other in their growth in the Christian life. But notice also Christ's gracious presence. 
as the believer is sustained by Christ's grace, God's grace in Christ to live a holy life. Verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Once again, Paul reminds the church that they are the church by the grace of God. Grace is that undeserved favor of God effectually communicated to the people of God. Grace is that which God has given to you and me, though we do not deserve it. You know what we deserve when we stand in the presence of God. We deserve judgment for our sin. And yet God does not give his people judgment, but rather he has given his people Christ. That your sins, that my sins might be forgiven in Christ. And notice he says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord. Jesus is our master. Jesus is the one to whom you and I owe allegiance and obedience. There is no king greater than Jesus. There is no master mightier than Jesus. Jesus is the one whom you and I must submit to. He is also Jesus. Jesus means Savior, for he is the one who saves us from sin and everlasting destruction. When we were on our way to death, he plucked us and gave us life eternal, for he himself went to death on our behalf. But not only is he our Lord, not only is he Jesus, our Savior, but he is Christ, the anointed one, the one who was appointed by God to accomplish redemption for Israel, the one who was appointed by God to accomplish redemption for you and for me, for all who trust and believe in him. Our strength, brothers and sisters, our strength for the Christian life is to be found in Christ alone. As a church, we need this strength and we will need this strength in coming days. The gospel is being hindered all around us. And how will the Christian stand in the face of an openly hostile society? Only by the strength that is provided to you through Christ's grace. And notice he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May it accompany you, be readily accessible, if you will, when it is needed. May you live out of that grace, out of that strength that is yours in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he concludes his letter with these words, Amen. Perhaps best to be understood, so let it be. As our confessions say that Amen testifies to our desire and confidence that God will do what we ask because he always does what he promises he will do. And so Paul concludes this letter and he says, Amen. So let it be. we believe that this is what God will do. And this is why one of the reasons why we end our prayers with amen. <clears throat> it's our testimony um, as a body of believers to the truth that has been read, that has been declared. And that's why we do this in worship and in, in the corporate amen, that it's our testimony, not as simply as individuals, but as a body of believers, that God be glorified, that God be praised in our worship, in our prayers, that he be honored as we grow in our grace and in our knowledge 
of him. And so we end our we 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 end our prayers. We we end the reading of scripture with Amen. So let it be, Lord. May you do what you have promised that you will do. For you see, God's grace or Christ's grace sustains the believer in holy living. Brothers and sisters, it is only because of Christ that we can stand here, that we have gathered here today. Christ is the source of your strength, of your power, as it is applied by his Holy Spirit. And it is Christ's grace that strengthens you to live the holy life. God's grace in Christ enables you to look for the coming of Christ, enables you to fix your eyes on the things above, to look toward heaven where Christ is seated, where Christ makes intercession for you, and to look for him to return again with eyes of faith. It is Christ's grace that is freely given to you who believe. And Christ is never far from his people. In fact, he never leaves them. Remember what the psalmist says in Psalm 121, God never slumbers, he never sleeps. He watches over his people day and night. And this can fill you and me, the believer, with peace, hope, and strength to continue to live holy lives in God's sight. But apart from Christ, there is no peace. Apart from Christ, uh, the only sight that you will see is the sight of here and now. The only sight is that of eternal condemnation of sin and judgment. For apart from Christ, you will not know grace. You will not know mercy. You will not know the love of Christ. And that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died. That all who believe and trust in him might live now and always. Let us put to death our old ways of wickedness. Let us pray for one another. Let us study God's word, meditate on God's word. Let us remember that we are brothers and sisters, that we are a family in need of each other's love and support. Let us remember that our redemption is all of grace, for the God of peace himself is the one who sanctifies you. Let us remember that our salvation is grounded upon Christ, whose grace sustains us by his word. And let us pray for one another and show each other our love, our warm affection for one another in Christ, to whom alone belongs praise, glory, honor, majesty, and power now and always. Let us pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for that grace that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the strength that your Spirit gives to us that we might believe and trust in in Christ. Lord, we ask that you would hear our prayers and that you would answer our prayers, that that we would be driven Uh, to read your word, to meditate on your word, to study your word, that we might grow to be more like our Savior, in whose name we pray, amen.